Hello, everybody, and welcome in to another episode of the Eye on the Tigers podcast here at the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. I'm Ben Fredrickson, joined from the Columbia Bureau, as always, by Dave Matter. And we're going to start with a plus. We're going to talk some uh, some college football recruiting um, and a little Elia Drinkwitz viral moment, and then we'll transition into hoops, which is not so good right now. Um, and then uh, maybe talk some Sophie Cunningham here at the end because she's got a cool thing going on, Dave, that I want to be sure to mention. Um, but uh, let's start with Drinkwitz. Uh, I think a lot of Missouri fans uh, – Liked the energy shown in, in the video yesterday. For folks who haven't seen it, who are living under the proverbial Twitter rock, fill us in on what happened yesterday in, in Como. Well, Missouri, was they were down to two or three guys that they didn't know if who they were going to pick on signing day. There wasn't a lot of drama. But the three-star defensive back from Duncanville, Texas, which is an absolute powerhouse down in the largest class, one of the largest classes down in Texas, Ennis Rakestraw Jr. He's a, uh, a corner that Missouri had been recruiting for about two years. They signed one of his teammates a year ago, Stacy Brown, who's a safety. Uh, and, and Missouri locked in on this Rakestraw kid that they really liked. That's going back to Barry Odom's staff. Really, Ryan Walters, defensive coordinator and cornerbacks coach David Gibbs, who really recruit that Dallas area pretty closely. So they've been in on him for a long time. They offered him. They, Missouri was the first school to offer him a scholarship back in October. And at the time, the reaction among Missouri fans who really you know, follow recruiting closely were like, oh, gosh, what's the big deal? This kid has no other Power 5 offers, another three-star, you know, Barry Odom under-the-radar recruit they're going after. Uh, well, it turns out he doesn't sign in December, and then he becomes like, one of the most coveted defensive backs, defensive players in the country for the second signing date. He's got Alabama coming after him, and with legit interest. And Nick Saban visited him at his home uh, in in mid January. Uh, Texas came after him hard. His home state school, Georgia, Miami, a handful of Power Five schools, really made him a priority. So you know, he came down to. He never left Missouri out of the discussion. He took a visit to Missouri. He came down on a signing day decision to uh, Missouri. Texas and Alabama and a lot of the kind of discussion some of the speculation was he was gonna pick Alabama which is you know that's that shouldn't be a wouldn't have been a surprise to anybody um but he ends up picking Missouri on his during his ceremony at his high school in Duncanville Eli Drinkowitz is watching it the live feed on his phone and as Missouri does like a lot of schools do these days they record everything these coaches do just hoping to catch you know, a moment that might go viral. And sure enough, this one did. I mean, he went absolutely berserk celebrating uh, the commitment. He, they hadn't had any contact with Rakestraw since like eight thirty, nine o'clock the previous night. So like Brinkwith later said, we were in the dark on this one. They didn't know who, who he was going to pick. And then he, sure enough, he picked up a Texas hat and he picked up an Alabama hat and puts on the Missouri hat. And Drinkwith just goes crazy. And Missouri was fortunate to have one of their videographers right there with them, followed him down the hallway, the high fives, the hugs and all of that. And I think it was, it was kind of jarring to watch a little more personality than we've seen from Missouri's last few coaches. But this is, this is college football. This is college sports. This is recruiting in 2020. Everything can be a moment for you with the internet, and with social media. And Missouri, I think really capitalized on that. I mean, later in the day, you had Lane Kiffin talking about how awesome it was when he was on Paul Feinbaum's show the thing has gotten, I think, 400,000 views as of Thursday morning on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, and there were people that didn't really know who Missouri hired 
yesterday who are now talking about this guy that's a viral sensation for going bananas uh, with a three-star signing. So that's that's where we are in, in college sports and, and social media today, and I, I, it's, a, it's a pretty cool story. Well, I wanted to kind of take this two directions because one is the player, and I, and I did see some people right. going, okay, this is a, a three-star. This is just a, a, a promoted celebration of a, the kind of recruit that Missouri usually gets. And, and sometimes we hear of guys having offers that are, oh, he had an offer from Alabama. He had an offer from Texas. But if that player actually showed up on campus there and said, hey, coach, I want to I want to commit, that coach says, uh, slow down there, Sonny. We've readjusted, or that wasn't a committable offer. It sounds like the folks who you know who were following this recruitment; these were committable offers. These, if he wanted to go to Texas, if he wanted to go to Alabama, um, then they would have been happy to have Rakestraw on their roster. Yeah, by all accounts, it was. I mean, you know, head coaches are only allowed so many home visits, and and Saban visited him. I, I believe it was January twentieth. So we're just talking about a couple of weeks ago and was in his living room, and then they had him on campus after that in Tuscaloosa the following weekend. So uh, they liked what they, they they saw on the visit, apparently, and to enough to have him come and visit Tuscaloosa the following weekend. So by all accounts, those were very legit, committable offers he had to Alabama and Texas. And I think that's what caused the eruption. It's not so much, hey, we got this three-star guy. It's, hey, first signing class, uh, NCAA scholarship reductions, recruiting restrictions, you know, I'm the new head coach that people aren't quite so sure of. I don't have much of a track record, but hey, I for for one moment I at least beat out Nick Saban and the University of Texas for a recruit. So I, I think that's what caused that. And this guy's just a competitive dude. I mean, that's I, I think that's that's who he is, and the, the charisma, the excitement, the energy is I, I think something that that Missouri really liked when they when they interviewed. Eli back in December. Well, that's the other part of this. So there's a there's a nice feather in in, in Eli Drinkwitz recruiting cap. The other thing that we've seen, and we've seen this since he got the job, whether it was his energy at the Bragging Rights game, him raising the roof on the jumbo at the Enterprise Center, or or just his comments that he's made, he is bringing an intention. I would call it an intentional energy to the program, and he's finding ways to show that through social media. Look, if the guy goes out and can't win a game, none of this will matter. So let's just say that right at the beginning. But there are things that you can do before that first game is played where you can build excitement and create momentum for your team. People say, well, this is just Twitter and Instagram. What does it matter? Well, here's what it matters. Look at the players that are being recruited by college football teams. Go try to find one when he's not on the football field. What's he doing? His face is buried in his phone. He's watching Instagram. He's he's checking Twitter. He's using TikTok and Snapchat and God knows what else to talk with his friends and to see what's going on. There's a reason that teams, you know, change uniforms all the time. They try to be popular with young players. There's a reason coaches who do this well, even some of the crustier old dogs who still recruit pretty well, you know, have a presence on social media. There's a reason that Nick Saban gets up and does the you know, the the dance at the family wedding when he's in town for recruitment and it goes viral. He's he's not doing that because he likes to dance people. There there's an element to this that coaches understand. No one understands it better than Lane Kiffin, who takes every opportunity to troll Alabama and is apparently going to continue that now that he's back in the SEC. That definitely had a part of the reason he showed drink with some love um, on Twitter the other day. But hey, a lot of Missouri fans wanted Lane Kiffin for the splash. Uh, not a bad consolation prize to have Lane Kiffin on the Paul Feinbaum show publicly praising 
Eli Drinkwitz for uh, for his enthusiasm. Even gave him a compliment on the sweater there. We've seen this with Drinkwitz, whether it's tweeting out his Whataburger wrapper when he's recruiting in Texas, which is where Drink Stop, uh, which is where. Um, which is where he got this player from. We've seen him, you know, in just his 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 general conversations on Twitter, even tweeting to you during a basketball game, telling you to uh, yeah. pick your energy level up. He gets it. It's uh, it's fun loving. It's enthusiastic, um, and it, and it seems to be playing well with a fan base that really needs every reason to get excited that it can. Now, again. If he goes out and can't coach, then then we won't be talking about how good he is at Twitter. But there are no games to be played in February. And right now he's making some waves for his football program that has to be looked at as a plus. It's kind of a uh, – I, I almost called uh, called him Ennis Drinkstraw, but it's Ennis Rakestraw <laughs> committing to Elia Drinkwitz. So the straw that stirs the drink, I guess, is the uh, is the headline. Yeah, and you're right about energizing the fan base. I mean, this is something that he – has to do. I mean, we I wrote all about the the sagging ticket sales last week, and um, this is this is a university that's that's losing money in athletics, and it's it's the root cause is is the ticket sales. And not that I don't know if they signed if they sold any season tickets yesterday just because of this video, but this kind of stuff helps because um, you can't win a game until September, and this team may not be great. They may not win a championship ever under Eli, but especially no one's going to expect one this year. And Missouri fans tend to jump on the bandwagon after the fact and not, not before the big wins come. At least that was the case, you know, in, in Gary Pinkle's years. Um, so, yeah, I, I think there's something to this to, to try to get people excited. But what he's done as far as just results with recruiting, for the most part, it really isn't all that different from what Barry Odom was doing. I mean, Missouri's class, if, if anybody puts stock in the recruiting rankings, they're the worst class in the SEC, and this is they rank in the 50s nationally, which is still a little lower than what what Barry was doing. He Barry also went out on recruiting visits. He did the in-home visits. He just didn't take Twitter pictures of the plane's wing from his window like Drinkwitz did, which generates this excitement. And maybe some of that excitement's meaningless and artificial, but I've got people asking me and fans texting me and and emailing me saying hey this he's doing stuff barry odom never did I'm like, really you don't think barry odom recruited he just didn't broadcast it all on social media because he just didn't wasn't necessarily raised in the industry that way he's not that much older than drinkwitz but drinkwitz has always been accustomed he, he in 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 his coaching life the social media aspect has always been present and he gets it he, he gets it and embraces it and even if he's not necessarily doing more as far as results go just the 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 fact that he's being more transparent about the process is is something to get people excited about until there's actual football to be excited about. So I, I think it's smart. I think it is calculated to some degree, and it's just the way of the world right now. I think the the other thing that it that it does is you know make people who are not maybe aware of drink wits you know so this is firing up mizzou fans this is appealing to recruits who are learning about this new coach at mizzou but i think it also is introducing drink wits at mizzou to people who maybe weren't paying attention i mean everybody who was watching sec network the other day heard a little bit and saw a little bit about eli drink wits and again this is not is this going to help him convert a third down against uh you know, against Tennessee, no, but but all these things matter, and, and all these little wins can stack up to help you get wins in the fall. So, 
you know, I, I think uh, I think he gets a tip of the cap to that, and certainly the you know, most importantly, it sounds like they got a good player. Um, what do you make of kind of the recruiting, uh, the recruiting, you know, first impression of Drinkwitz? Now, tough spot brought on um, late in the process. That first class is always kind of a try to salvage as much as anything, um, and and the signing days are so weird now. You really the the big signing day is this this early one. So what used to be National Signing Day is now more or less a formality. But what do you what do you make kind of overall first impressions of of, of Drinkwitz's first uh, first splash in recruiting here? Well, I thought they had some obvious needs to address some weaknesses on this roster right now, or at least as far as depth and and what they have coming back wide receiver defensive line um and then obviously a defensive back you know they lost christian holmes a couple weeks ago to the transfer portal so i think that's that makes rakestar even more pivotal of a signing uh for that cornerback position i I was really impressed and it kind of got overshadowed by the rakestraw uh with the virginia tech grad transfer wide receiver damon hazelton jr this is a guy who caught eight touchdowns each of the last two years he has been more productive for a really good program at Virginia Tech than any receiver Missouri has had on the roster the last couple years. you got to go back to Emmanuel Hall when he was healthy as far as having an impact on a big stage. And they went out and got this guy without any real prior connections or relationships with him. I, I, I kind of assumed you know somebody knew somebody. Bush Hamden, their new receivers coach, he's from Maryland. So was, uh, so was Hazleton, but I don't know that they really knew each other they went out in six days and were able to get him from the day he went to the portal to the day he committed to missouri after visiting so i think he's an instant upgrade to this offense that that sorely needs some playmakers they need some defensive linemen not just for this year but really for the future because i think i had my story today of, of their 12 scholarship d linemen eight of them are going to be seniors this year so they need to replenish that spot they got ben key a junior college uh, defensive end, defensive tackle, kind of versatile guy. He's Australian. He's he grew up playing rugby, so he is is very raw as far as the sport goes. But he's but he's been pretty productive. He he was committed to Mississippi State before the before the change there, the head coaching change. Um, so yeah, I, I think they went out and addressed the positions they need. They only were able to sign 17 guys because of the the, the roster scholarship reduction. So the class was not going to rank that high based on those rankings that take into account how many guys you're able to sign. Uh, so that was always going to hurt them a little bit. The the ranking is a little bit higher if you just look at average ranking of per player that doesn't take into account the, the size of the class. Um, but, again, you know, 10 of the guys that they signed were already committed under Barry Odom. They weren't going to mess with those players as long as they thought they could. They were worth signing. They were going to add them. So they didn't have a lot of room to add. I mean, he's really going to be defined and measured by how he does these next two classes. But so far, so good. Um, they're going to have to build on this one for sure, though. You've had a chance now to catch up with these assistants, Curtis Looper, Bush Hamden. It sounded initially like Curtis Looper was going to be the guy in St. Louis, and, and, and that's changed a little bit. Drinkwitz is saying, hey, we need everybody recruiting the state of Missouri, and he's really – and this is not r- unique. I mean, every coach who has come in at Missouri says, we got to do a better job recruiting the state – Barry Odom's staff kind of went from saying that, then they missed really bad on that Tiger 10, and then it almost kind of at times felt like sour grapes a little bit where it was like, well, we can get better players from out of the state, and and we don't always need the guys from the St. Louis area. Well, I don't know that that's going to be your best sustainable approach, and it sounds like Drinkwitz is saying, no, we need to get – 
these guys and we're going to commit a lot of effort and energy to doing it. What was just your impressions of, of getting a chance to talk to some of these assistants? And do you think it's going to be an upgrade in recruiting? You know, they're, based off some of the credentials of some of these assistants that he's added, it's been pretty clear that he's got recruiting top of mind when it comes to some of his assistant hires. And part of that is because Drinkwitz knows the offense he wants to run. He's going to call the plays. Um, so I think he could afford to maybe flex some recruiting uh, muscle in his hires. But I think this has a chance to be perhaps the strongest recruiting chops nationally that a Missouri staff has has had yeah I think so I think there's a potential for that here's what his plan is for the state of Missouri all 10 assistant coaches are going to have a specific region they will be responsible for now some of them will also recruit outside the state because you can't Missouri can't win on Missouri kids alone but they're all going to have a specific region in 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 Kansas City and St. Louis they're going to have specific schools that's all divided up it's going to be very very organized. He's going to have four coaches in both St. Louis and Kansas City. In St. Louis, Curtis Looper will be the, the point man. He will be the primary recruiter for the, for the St. Louis market. Um, and then he'll also have Bush Hamden in the region. He'll have Brick Haley in the region and also linebackers coach DJ Smith. So you've got four coaches there. Uh, three of them African-American, which I think is smart. Um, most of his staff is a minority staff, very similar to Barry Odom's 2019 staff. I think that will work. I don't, I don't say it's the deal breaker, but I think it, it is, is a positive for the region. Then he's going to have Casey Woods, who is his recruiting director, recruiting uh, coordinator, and tight ends coach, will be the, the point man in Kansas City. I was really impressed with talking with him the other day. And something I kind of maybe overlooked a little bit when, when they hired him, he comes from UAB. He has been on the staff at Alabama Birmingham for the last three years. He was a recruiting uh, coordinator there when they started that program from scratch. UAB went dormant for a couple seasons. They had to build that roster from the ground up, and he was in charge of recruiting, and they were good. They, they won, I think, at least eight games every year he was there. Uh, head coach Bill Clark won National Coach of the Year awards, and, and uh, Woods was responsible for roster management and building that thing from the ground up. So he clearly has some credentials there in in recruiting and, I, and just talking to him the guy is is all energy he's he's from the south he's got that kind of twang and charm to him i think he'll do really well on on the recruiting trail and and looper too he's a guy that is just he comes with this great track record for recruiting he actually enjoys recruiting which some of these coaches kind of look at as a necessary evil he really likes seems genuine that he likes building the relationships um, he will rattle off names of guys that he recruited at previous stops. He's not shy about that, number one being Cam Newton. Uh, Des Bryant was one of his recruits at Oklahoma State. A couple of the TCU guys who were, who were going to be high draft picks uh, here in a couple months were, were his recruits uh, in, in the Big 12. So he comes with some pretty strong accolades, and I, I think it's a really smart choice to have him in St. Louis. He also is going to recruit Dallas because that's that's been one of his areas of expertise over the years, and, and Drinkwitz even said yesterday, he goes, we want to get back to not just being in Dallas, but really recruiting Dallas like Gary Pinkle was for, for his best years. And I, I thought it was interesting that he, he definitely brought up Gary's name uh, and, and kind of alluded to the fact that Missouri hasn't gotten out of Texas, but they haven't hit it as hard as they did during the Big 12 years. Uh, so that's kind of the plan. Even Drinkwitz said he's going to have a, a certain areas in, in the state that he's going to recruit specifically when when the head coach is allowed to be out there he's head coaches have more regulations on when they can travel uh so he's got a plan there's a definite plan for the state you know they're not going to offer every kid but he said they're they are going to evaluate every kid so there's 
there's not going to be a, a, a power five recruit in the state of Missouri who, who will say, gosh, Missouri never even looked at me. They'll, they'll look at everybody. They just may not take them all. I think that's a, a smart plan, and maybe for Missouri will stop the uh, the kind of the slow bleed of players popping up from this area at, at Michigan, at Notre Dame, at, at some of these other at some of these other schools. That you mean, man, why, why wasn't Missouri in on that guy? Well, they might have been, but they got in too late. If they're the first school in, maybe that maybe that changes. Um, we'll, we'll switch the the conversation here to to basketball, Dave. But quickly before we do, I wanted to to ask you about you know, about the quarterback situation, do you have a sense in talking to Drinkwitz and, and some of the, the staff what they feel like their their best option is there? Is it Sean Robinson? Is it is that the guy that fans should start to look at as, as the next quarterback for the Missouri football program? I, I think if you had to put betting odds, he'd be the favorite just based on his upside and his experience. You know, he started, I think, eight games at TCU. And he, he wasn't great by by any means, but he was he was solid. He has experience on the big stage they they really like his skill uh bush hamden we asked him uh asked him about the quarterback situation the day he's the quarterbacks coach and receivers coach so drink what's is kind of work really closely with the quarterbacks and he said hey this is going to be a true competition uh which missouri really hasn't had at the quarterback spot in we're talking about more than a decade I and mean, they've always gone into the season with a pretty good idea who it's going to be whether that's kelly bryan or drew Locke or maddie mock or james franklin there's always been a guy that you knew was going to be the leader in the clubhouse. And we can say it's going to be Robinson, but he's never played at Missouri. Um, you know, you've got Taylor Powell back. You know, he's a guy with a lot of pride who got to play more extensively last season. Um, you know, he'll he'll try to compete the best he can for that job. Drinkwitz is definitely familiar with him with his Arkansas background. And then you've got Connor Bazelak, who I think under normal circumstances would have a great shot to compete for the job, but he is coming off of ACL surgery, uh, which he had after the season. And, uh, you know, that won't wipe out his 2020 season, but he's not going to be able to be, you know, full go for spring practice, which starts in about a month. Um, so he's going to be a little bit behind. But they're all learning a new system. They're all learning new terminology and new offense, getting used to new coaches. So, you know, I, I think he'll have a chance to catch up. It'll just be whether he can physically. So I would say Sean Robinson, we should think of as the leader, but he's going to have to earn that job for sure. All right, hoops. Uh, we delayed it as long as we could. It's gotten ugly again. Um, look, I'm guilty of thinking Missouri might have been on to something the last game. I was in Columbia 4, was the route of Florida. I showed up kind of expecting to ride a where the heck is this thing going column, and Missouri played probably its best, uh, most complete game of the season, and since then it's won one game. The comeback against a, a bad Georgia team that has one good player and has lost every other game, and it probably hit a, uh, a rock-bottom point uh, at least so far at Texas A&M against a, a a a not good Texas A&M team, which beat Missouri again in a game that was foul laden and left Conzo Martin questioning his team's toughness, which is usually the one thing that he can count on. The one box that you can check with this Missouri team is that it plays hard, and and then its coach is now questioning that. So the offense has gone from bad to back to atrocious, and the defense is uh, is not playing as well as it, it has it has to for Missouri to be competitive. The turnovers are are way up. The field goal percentage since that Florida game is one of the worst in the country. Actually, the, I think the second worst in the country among 350 Division One teams based off some numbers I looked at this morning. There's not a lot of good things to say, Dave, and I think it is probably safe to say 
the conversation is going to shift here, not to what can Missouri make of this season, um, but what does Missouri have to do? And there are some tough questions here. Um, I will be the first to say that anyone clamoring for Conzo Martin to get fired, keep Keep uh, clamoring if you like, but it's not going to happen. His contract, because he went to the NCAA tournament in his first season, makes that impossible uh, to fire him without cause. If you know how Conzo Martin operates and coaches, he's not going to do anything that gets him fired for cause. I do think it's fair to say, what does he have to do to upgrade the talent on this roster? And I think it's also fair to say, what is he going to need to do to perhaps improve this staff as they try to find a better offense and try to get some better recruiting to upgrade the talent on this team? Yeah, all very fair questions because when you look at the SEC right now, they're 2-7. and seven. They're tied for second to last in the league with Ole Miss and Georgia. Um, and Vanderbilt's right there at 1-8 behind them. And you know what? The, the, I think the, probably the most frustrating thing for fans is you look around the league and even these bad teams are doing some good things. Vanderbilt beat LSU last night, the first-place team in the league. Vanderbilt's been, been right there. They lost their best player, and they, they took Auburn – uh, to the brink. They played Kentucky really competitively. Finally broke through last night and beat LSU. Last night, Ole Miss, um, who'd they beat? They beat South Carolina, who'd been one of the hottest teams in the league. You know, other teams are showing a pulse. Missouri's getting worse, and, and they're not even that competitive in some of these games against mid-tier SEC teams. And the other night, I think, and, and Conzo really railed on the toughness part in his, his post-game radio interview, and I know fans didn't like that a lot of it was well you know it, it this needs to be about making shots and talent like well no this team though knowing what it is they they have to be tough and physical because they're not going to go out and shoot 60 percent from three and when they don't do the the core basic things of boxing out and rebounding they're going to lose to everybody and i think that's what he's most frustrated with and the other night at texas a&m which is not a good team but they're five and four in the league and part of that's because they, they've swept missouri missouri actually shot better from three-point range than a&m did the difference was a&m destroyed them on the boards they had 23 offensive rebounds that's all toughness that's that's what he's talking about those second chance points those are the things missouri can and should be able to control in a game when they're not shooting well when they're turning it over and then that's where that's what they're not doing. And there's to me, it seems like there's a disconnect because I, you almost expect every Conzo Martin team to be able to do those kind of things because we've we've seen this team do it. It's not like they've never done it before. Go back to the the Illinois game. I mean, they won that game on toughness. And when that's lacking, I, I think the red flag should really go up. What what is missing with this team? And part of it was, you know, Javon Pickett fouled out in 12 minutes. He he was the second best player on the floor for Missouri in that game. But you got to ask him, like, what are you doing following constantly like this? They had 32 fouls in that game. It's the most for a Missouri game since 2000. And that was an overtime game. So hmm. they just, they got to stop hacking. It is, they, they cannot win that way. They're just, they're giving free points to the other team when they can't afford it. So I, I know people don't like to hear the defense first talk from Conzo, but that's how this team has to win. It's how, they're, they're not going to outscore you and score 100 points a night. They've got to play defense because that's, that's something you can control. It's effort. It, it's focus. You know, it's, it's knowing your assignment. It's carrying it out. It's being tough. Those things you can control more than a jump shot. And when they don't have that, man, they're just they're lost out there. And that's, that's how they look lately. 
since that uh, since that Florida game, in addition to scoring, you know, having a very hard time scoring, they're shooting twenty six percent from three. They're they're getting out rebounded by an average about seven rebounds per game. They're averaging about fifteen turnovers per game, um, and giving up hundred. They've given up like hundred twenty plus points off of turnovers, about seventeen points off of turnovers a game. That's killing them for a team that can't score. Um, reliably on, on offense, and and I don't, you know, I don't talk about anybody's job security lightly at all, and I, I don't, I don't like doing this, um, but I, I do think you have to look ahead and go, okay, what are some things that could, you know, maybe lurch this team toward, toward better footing? It, well, first you start with the talent. You know, better players have better, better players lead to better teams, so that's that's easy said. I think graduate transfers could be a realistic option for this team. I think we could see some turnover. On the roster, I also think it's it's probably smart to start saying there could be some turnover on this staff. Cornell Mann and Chris Hollander they were hired with offense in mind. Um, that was really prominent when they were brought on to the staff. So when the offense is underperforming as much as it is, that you have to wonder about that. Also, Michael Porter Sr. his salary um, his contract is up after this year. So. I don't imagine uh, that that he will be back on the staff. If maybe I'm wrong there, I don't. I'm not speaking from inside info. I have. I'm just looking at the length of the contract and uh, and the fact that he's actually been kind of demoted since uh, since he is was hired as an assistant. So I don't think it would be unrealistic to see there be some offensive minded staff additions slash changes to this staff this off season. Yeah, I think there's there's reason for that. Uh, you know, Marco Harris took over basically swapped roles with with Michael Porter senior but kept his salary and and Porter comes off the books now they could keep him there but he's not going to be making $375,000 a year to be right. the director right. of development or whatever he is so that that could save some money that way um you know i, I don't know i i think again like you mentioned the, the talking about changing head coaches i mean that's like that's like toddler talk we can be beyond that let's like let's upgrade this to at least like junior high or high school like look at the real problems here because that's that's not a realistic solution financially and just they're not going to give this guy less time than they gave Kim Anderson it doesn't doesn't make sense and things are you you can you can admit two things at once you could admit that things are not trending in the right direction and they need to make solutions and you can also admit that firing the head coach is not is not the answer. So um, that should settle that. But the the roster is a little bit dicier situation because you really only have one open scholarship right now. Um, that might lead to some uncomfortable but necessary conversations with guys that you nudge out and you say, hey, um, this team needs to upgrade. It's be- it'll be better for you and it'll be better for us if we can part ways. And a lot of times those things happen organically because guys are not happy they're not playing. And you can you can point to a few scholarship players on this team right now that – that aren't getting minutes that may want to go somewhere else, whether they have to sit out somewhere or not. Um, but I, I definitely think just hoping that everybody in this core improves next season. I don't think that's a strategy, you know, just, just hoping that they get better. Cause that was the hope going into this year. We haven't really seen it. I, I think they need some upgrades and, you know, the, the transfer market is one for sure. Um, there's not a lot of uncommitted, high-profile recruits out there who are high school kids, but Conzo's specialty is getting kids to flip who either committed somewhere else or signed somewhere, and then there's a head coaching change. So a lot could still happen, you know. After uh, some coaches get fired around the country, you know that's how they were able to get some guys in the past. So we'll see. But I, I think if you're Conzo, you have to be thinking about those possibilities and those scenarios because this group just isn't getting it done. 
And I think the the other fair thing to say about the staff too is it's it's one thing to say, hey, the, the players aren't talented enough, and maybe maybe that's the case in some categories. But it's also fair to say, and 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 this is nothing that 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 Conzo and, and his staff doesn't have to take a hard look at, and they, ha- they I'm sure they have. Is why haven't some of these guys taken the next step? You know, why hasn't Jeremiah Tillman been able to figure it out? Um, you know, it's not it's not. Uh, it's not great that his first return back after missing how many games nine um, was was kind of the worst effort game that we've seen from this team over the course of the season. That's that's scary to me. I mean, you'd think that when he comes off the court, finally gets back on the court, there would be an energy, there'd be an enthusiasm. Well, they were missing Mark Smith, but the, it didn't seem that Tillman's return brought any sort of of a boost to the morale. Um, so I don't know what's going on there. You know, Torrance Watson, for example. He's probably a worse player this year than he was last year. He hasn't gotten any yeah, better. If if, sure. if 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 you look at year one to year two, there's nothing that suggests it's trending in the right direction. So there's some development questions right now. And look, I campaigned for you know a campaign. I wrote that Conzo should be Missouri's hire. I thought he would be a great fit. I thought year one really showed what he's capable of when he took a team that that did not have Michael Porter Jr. to the NCAA tournament after three years of being the least competitive Power 5 team in the country. Um, that was that was not an easy task, and I feel like some people have completely forgotten that that happened. Um, and But I don't have any problem. I don't think you do either, saying if it continues like this, then, yeah, you're, it's going to be completely fair to say, hey, what's going on here, and, and, and what is the uh, what's the future look like for Conzo? But understand that we're not just dismissing this as, oh, they can never get rid of Conzo Martin. It is in his contract that because he took that team to the tournament in the first year, that he is unfireable until after the upcoming season. And even if you fire him then, he's owed $6 million. So I don't think that Jim Sterk, after missing out on this round of bowl money, after, as you wrote this week, having some pretty severe money issues, is all that ex- would be all that excited about firing Coach Martin at the end of the next season of handing him a $6 million check to go and then having to hire a new coach and a new staff. So, that's what we're talking about. It's not like we're just, you know, shaking our, our Conzo pom-poms here. Um, some criticism is, is totally fine, but calling for him to be fired makes no sense because it's literally in the contract that he can't be right now. So I, I think it's 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 on Conzo to figure out, hey, how did this happen? And it's got to be, you know, more than just Jeremiah Tillman getting hurt because he wasn't playing all that well beforehand. So, you know, he's had some bad luck here. I don't think any coach in the country has lost a key as a key of a producer three years in a row between Michael Porter Jr., Jonte Porter, and now Jeremiah Tillman to significant injuries. But it's also fair to say that the Jeremiah Tillman injury is the least significant of those other of those three because he wasn't playing all that well to begin with. So there are some hard questions. There's some soul searching going on. And this conversation probably should be about what's happening moving forward as opposed to what can happen this season because right now there's really nothing Missouri can do to get back in terms of the postseason discussion unless they go and surprise everybody by winning the SEC tournament. Yeah, that would require winning at least two games in a row, and they struggled to do that. So um, I, I think you're spot on with, with the staff questions, um, with the roster questions, and you know, not just player development with the staff, but, but recruiting too. I mean, they've missed on a lot, of, a, a lot of targets, and when you look at this team right now, who are two of their better players? They're Mitchell Smith and Reed Nicko, and these were guys that came under the Kim Anderson regime, and I think they're both squeezing about all of the production they can out of, out of their ability. It, it, especially with Nico, and um, it, it's hard to fault those guys because they, they give you pretty much everything every night, and it's, it's the other guys that are just so up and down. I mean, 
Drew Smith is. I was talking two weeks ago about him. Man, if they just had a couple more wins, he'd be definitely be an All SEC candidate. If you look at his numbers, especially like the advanced metrics, he was one of the most valuable guards in the league. And then he's just a no show in certain games. Um, Kobe Brown is a guy that fans were clamoring to see more of. And then the more he's out there, the less he does, the less impressive he is. Trey Jackson's the one that nobody can quite figure out. Four star power forward who, when he's out there, looks pretty lost. He fouled out and. I think 10 minutes at West Virginia and hasn't played a whole lot since then. Part of the problem is he, he plays behind Mitchell Smith, and Mitchell Smith is actually a guy that's out there producing and playing pretty well, especially on defense. So, um, yeah, there's just there's no great answers right now for this season other than they've got to play better because we've seen that they can. I think that's probably the more frustrating thing. Like during the Kim Anderson years, you could hope they played better, but there was no – there was no baseline where you said, well, they played well in this game. Remember that one? No, they were always bad. But this game, we've, we've seen them beat a really good Illinois team. We've seen them beat a pretty good Florida team. But they just they can't get back to that. They can't recapture whatever was working. Yeah, anyone who wants to compare what Conzo Martin has done at Mizzou to what Kim Anderson has done at Mizzou is simply just not paying attention. And I'm not saying yeah. that they're that they're, uh, they're cruising along swimmingly right now. Let's not sugarcoat it. But but there's also a difference between, a pretty big difference between those two programs right now. Some big questions ahead, and we'll be there to, to cover those as they come. Dave, anything else before we run? I wanted to direct listeners to uh, Christina Long's story about Sophie Cunningham, who's doing some, some great work to raise some funds for the relief effort in Australia. She's over there playing pro hoops, and uh, of course the, the wildfires there going on are, are horrendous, and, it, and she's putting uh, putting her, her name, her, her brand out there to try to get some, some help for those folks where she's staying now to play basketball. Yeah, she's a, she started a, a campaign online to raise money. She's donating money uh, for every three-pointer she makes for the team that she plays for out in Melbourne. The problem is as soon as she, she put that out there, she went into a, a really bad cold funk from, from three-point range, and which is she was able to laugh at herself for that one. But I know she's been able to raise a couple thousand bucks right as soon as she started that. Uh, her team uh, is getting ready to start the postseason, I think, next week. And then after that, she'll come back to the States uh, for a little, you know, R and R, I'm sure in Columbia, and then get ready for her second season in the WNBA. Um, but yeah, it was a good story by Christina. Uh, you can you can find that story at STL today, and uh, and I'm, I'm sure you can find uh, you know Sophie's uh, fundraiser there for the fires that she, uh, she she's a couple hours away, I think, from the, from the what was the worst of it, but they were definitely impacted by it there in Melbourne. And I'll encourage folks too who want a little more. Um, insight on the the assistance under Eli Drinkwitz, kind of the recruiting philosophy. Dave posted a a story on the website stlt.com that has, I mean, it's probably uh, three times the length of your average newspaper story, just getting into what makes these guys tick and what their approach is. You can find that at stltoday.com as well, or on Dave's Twitter handle, Dave underscore matter. Thank you guys for, for tuning in to the, uh, the podcast. As always, you can find us on iTunes, um, or if you want to go to the website, it's stltoday.com slash podcast. We appreciate it, and we will, uh, we'll be back for another episode here in the near future. For Dave, I'm Ben. We will talk to you next time. <laughs>